Happy Four Noble Truths Day, everyone. Today, Rinpoche started the chapter on the distinction between Madhyamika Svatantraka and Madhyamika Prasangika, showing that the Madhyamika Prasangika asserts no lack of true establishment whatsoever, no intrinsic existence whatsoever. The Madhyamika Autonomy School asserts that there is conventional intrinsic existence. Welcome to the Chen Rezik Tibetan Buddhist Center. Once again, Rinpoche will be explaining Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment. And specifically, we are uh, getting towards the end of the text, um, page 247 at the top, where it begins with moreover. Um, so the explanation that we're receiving is the explanation of the summary of all of Lord Buddha's teachings. Lord Buddha's teachings can be summarized into three categories, which are called the teachings shared in common with being, the teachings, I'm sorry, which are called the teachings for beings of three capacities. The first set of teachings, the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity are for beings who wish to achieve a higher realm rebirth, and he or she engages in going for refuge to the three jewels of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and engages in ethical behavior that abandons the ten non-virtuous activities. In dependence upon these practices, he or she achieves higher realm rebirth, and these are the practices for beings of small capacity. The next category is for beings are for beings who wish to achieve nirvana, or an individual liberation. These are uh, called the practices of the three highest higher trainings. The practitioner engages in uh, a union of ethics, uh, concentration, uh, and wisdom um, in, in the highest form, and they're called the highest higher training in ethics, concentration, and wisdom, and independence upon these practices achieves nirvana. The last category is for beings who wish to achieve Buddhahood, called the teachings for beings of great capacity. This practitioner uh, couples um, bodhicitta, the mind that aspires to enlightenment, with all of the already mentioned practices, and then from that mind that aspires to enlightenment engages in the six perfections. Uh, and in dependence upon that, he or she becomes a Buddha. So this is what this text explains, the, th the teachings for beings of three capacities, which encompass all of Lord Buddha's teachings. Chetra Shena, 
ਜਮਾਤਾਂ ਜਮਾਤਾਂ ਦਾ ਤੀਸਰ
Refutation of objection states, apart from asserting conventions, we offer no explanations. And also Nagarjuna's 60 stanzas of reasoning states, a thing that arose and was destroyed is labels as having ceased. Likewise, excellent beings accept cessation. That is like an illusion. Everything that arises dependently, like a reflection of the moon and water, is neither real nor unreal. Those who accept this are not seduced by dogmatic views, as Nagarjuna's praise of the transcendent one states. What arises from causes cannot exist without them, and so is like a mere reflection. How can you not accept something so obvious? And again, from the same text, since it does not exist without what is felt, feeling itself is selfless. You, Buddha, also accept that feeling does not exist intrinsically. And also, you have taught action and agent in a conventional way. You accept that they exist in mutual dependence. And also, an effect cannot arise from a cause that has been destroyed, nor from a cause that has not been destroyed. You assert that effects are produced as in a dream. And also, you hold that whatever arises dependently is empty. Chandrakirti's explanation of the Middle Way commentary also states, Experts are of the opinion that this position has no flaw and is highly beneficial. You should accept it without hesitation. And also, consequently, because we accept that things are dependently imputed, just as we accept dependent arisings, they're the mere conditional nature of things, our position does not face the absurdity of annihilating all conventions. Others should also accept the same. These passages state that it is definitely necessary to accept a variety of positions, and there are many more like them. Again, the explanation of the Middle Way commentary explains four these, uh, theses. After stating that those four theses, we explain how to establish them through reasoning. This does not arise from itself, so how could it arise from something else? Nor does it arise from both itself and something else. How could it arise without a cause? As the clear words also make similar statements, the system of Nagarjuna, the protector in Chandrakirti, does have its own beliefs, assertions, and theses, refuting the fourth misinterpretation. This fourth system apparently accepts the intrinsic character, accepts that intrinsic character exists conventionally, but refutes the conventional existence of intrinsic character that withstands rational analysis. We have already explained that this is wrong. It also maintains that in the system of the Master Chandrakirti, when Madhyamikas, Madhyamikas use other-centered arguments to prove something to essentialist proponents, they use reasons to meet the three criteria, criteria that are established for both systems. This is correct because the clear word specifically refutes this view. Two, if you hold such a view, even if you do not call that a reason based on real fact, it is invariably inevitably an autonomous reason. I have yet to explain these points, so this is all I will say at this that at this point. I got to get better glasses. Rimaching, that's who karma ju dene demaji. Tanda demaji, that's more. Okay. Chan salangari be. That's more. Okay. Nipa. Nipa rangi lu shapa. Nipa rangi lu shapa. Yep. Tenjo. Chan. The. Lu jiba gabar lu shapa. Lu The nipa rangi lu. Nibarangi Lujabanes, teach it. Tanju, Ranjubi, Lu, 
interpretation of the Svatantrika Prasangika distinction. So these are the two different types of Madhyamaka system. So the middle way school has the middle way consequence, which is Madhyamika Prasangika. And then there is the middle way autonomy, which is Madhyamika Svatantrika. So the middle way autonomy, the Svatantrika um, that's written here in the heading has two divisions, whereas Prasangika only has one. So just as an aside. Um, setting forth our own position, 
Explaining how Prasangika set for their own system via a refutation of Svatantrika brings about an understanding of both systems. So, this is how I will proceed. Chandrakirti's clear words has a great deal to say on this matter, but I am wary of extensive verbiage. So, I will teach only the main points here. There are two divisions. The actual refutation of autonomous argument, why the faults we find in autonomous arguments do not apply to us. The actual refutation of autonomous argument. The first of these has two divisions, demonstrating a fault that pertains to the position, namely that the basis or subject of an autonomous syllogism is not established. Demonstrating that because of that fault, the reason is also not established. The subject of an autonomous syllogism is not established by two parts, stating what Baba Vega believes and refuting it. Baba Vega, as a translator's note, wrote Blaze of Reasoning. Um, and he's one of the masters we hear quoted quite a bit. Um, and he's, I think, on the wall. Baba Vega, Kabiare. One of these, you'd have to find him. But he's one of the um, Indian pandits that we see here on the wall. The passage, what Baba Vega believes, the passage from Chandrakirti's clear words on these point appear to be exceedingly difficult to understand, so let me explain by citing and explaining a passage from the clear words. It says, how, in the thesis, sound is impermanent, both the subject and the predicate are construed only in a general sense, not with specific qualifications. If they were taken under specific qualifications, the convention's inference and in what is inferred would cease to exist. For example, if the subject were construed as sound that evolves from the four great elements, it would be not be established by the other party in the debate. The Vaisikas, and if it were, maybe that's Vabashika, I'm not sure, and if it were taken as a quality of space, the subject would not be established for us, the Buddhists. Likewise, when Vaisikas advance the thesis, sound is impermanent to Samkhya opponents, Samkhya's non-Buddhist school. If sound is construed as produced sound, then it would not be established from the Samkhyas. On the other hand, if sound is construed as something that becomes manifest, then it would not be established for the Vabhashekas, Vaisasikas themselves. Likewise, however, it is placed in an argument, destruction when qualified as something that requires some other cause than production itself is established for us Buddhists, whereas qualified as something that is causeless is not established for the other party. The Vasikas, therefore, just as the, the Vasikas, therefore, just as the subject and predicate are taken only in a general sense in the above cases, likewise in the present case it is the mere subject without particular qualification that is to be understood. This is what Bhava Vega says. Just give me one moment. I want to see something here. 696. This means that when the Buddhists advance the thesis, sound is impermanent to the Vaisasikas. If sound evolves from the element, it is taken as the subject. It will not be established for the Vasikas. If sound as a quality of space is taken as the subject, it will not be established for us. Likewise, when Vasikas themselves advance the thesis, sound is impermanent to those Samkhyas who are manifestationists. If sound is something produced. So again, just as a translator's note, this is all in assuming that the reader completely understands the tenet systems. 
So without a complete understanding of the tenet systems, this doesn't make any sense because it's talking about a lot of intricate things within the tenet systems. And the tenet systems not only deal with the Buddhist tenets, but there's an entire section on non-Buddhist tenets where you study all of the non-Buddhist views that were in that ancient Indian time. And th so when they're referring to these other schools, the reader has already studied those schools because as a Buddhist you study the non-Buddhist tradition in order to refute it, in order to know you're not following that. So, anyway. Um, where are we? Therefore, it is, um, Vasikas, if sound as a quality of space is taken as the subject, it will not be established for us. Likewise, when Vaisikas themselves advance the thesis, sound is impermanent to those Samkhyas who are manifestationists. If sound as something produced were taken as a subject, it would not be established for the manifestationists. If sound is something that previously exists and comes to be manifested through certain conditions were taken as the subject, it would not be established for uh, Vaisika. Um, proponents. Therefore, if it is impossible to use as a subject something that is incompatible with one's own individual belief system. For given that the subject is the basis that both parties analyze in order to see whether a specific quality is present, it has to be something established as appearing common to both. Just as they must establish a commonly appearing subject, so too both sides must establish the predicate impermanent only in a general sense without particular qualifications. Also, they must commonly establish any example that they cite, and this must take place before they prove the uh, probundum. The situation is similar when we madhyamakas prove to non-Buddhists the non-existence of something that is produced from itself, whether it is an internal sensory source, such as a visual faculty, or an external sensory source, such as a form. And when we prove to Buddhist essentialists that there is no production from other, if we were to use a real eye, for instance, as a subject, it would not be established for us. But if we used an unreal eye as a subject, it would not be established for the other party. Hence, giving up such specificity, we must use the mere I or mere form as the subject. Why? Because it must be established as commonly appearing to both parties inasmuch as it is the basis that both Madhyamikas Ma, uh, Ma, Ma, and, uh, and Essentialists analyze in order to see whether there is a specific quality such as being produced from itself. This is what Bhava Vega thinks. To establish as appearing in common means that the proponent and the opponent use the same kind of valid cognition to establish it. Refuting that, this has two parts, showing that the meaning is incorrect and showing that the example cited is not appropriate. Chandrakirti's clear words states, this is not like that, and instead as follows, in as far as one accepts the refutation of production as the probendum in this demonstration that I, etc., are not ultimately produced, the subject, the basis of that probendum, uh, probendum, and something found to have its own existence by an accurate consciousness, breaks down in reality, and therefore it will be argued there would be no commonly appearing subject. He... Baba Vega himself must accept that this is so. Inaccurate and accurate consciousnesses are different. Therefore, when an inaccurate consciousness takes what is non-existent as existent, as in the case of someone with eye disease seeing falling hair, it does not perceive in the slightest degree and 
object that exists. When an accurate consciousness does not reify what is unreal, as in the case of someone without eye disease looking for imaginary falling eye, it, uh, falling hair, it does not perceive even to the slightest degree objects that are non-existent as far as they are merely conventional. That is why the Master Nagarjuna himself states in his refutation of objections, if sensory perception and so forth could actually perceive something, then there would be something to prove or to refute. But as they do not, I, I cannot be faulted. Since inaccurate and accurate consciousnesses are different in this way, in, inaccurate consciousnesses cannot exist when accurate consciousness is, is present. So how could the conventional I, as the subject of a syllogism, exist for an accurate consciousness? Therefore, since there is no Baba Vega, therefore, since there is for Baba Vega no avoiding the fallacies of a non-existent position and a non-existent reason, the response has given the, the response he has given is no answer at all. I will explain this passage based on the following syllogism, since using this example makes it easier to understand. The subject visible form, predicate, is not produced from itself, reason, because it exists. Example, like the pot that is right in front of you. Um, so this is called Chuchen Selwa Dok, um, subject, predicate, reason. Um, so this is a syllogism. Um, so when you create a syllogism, you have first the subject. So you say the subject, visible form, is not produced from itself because it exists. So that's a full syllogism. And then you would get an example. So they would sometimes in the debate um, say, show an example. Like just to say, okay, so you're saying that? Give me an example of what you're talking about. And then they would say, like the pot that is right in front of you. The pot that is right in front of you is a visible form. It's not produced from itself because it exists. That, and then the person would say, oh, so that which exists is not produced from itself? And you would say, yes. And that ends the argument. If the person accepts that which exists is not produced from itself, etc. So then you have to take it further if the person doesn't already posit that view that that which exists is necessarily not produced from itself. Um, the passages of the clear words that reply to Baba Vega show that the subject is not established, established as a... So, just as a note, that's how you learn this stuff, that we're reading all, this, all these words and everything. You learn it like this. The subject this is that, and, and that's how slowly you learn each of these schools in order to understand what this reading is about. It's, so it's broken down much more, um, in, much more simply. Um, and then you can, because you know the vocabulary that this is all using, it doesn't become an obstacle. Like these words are large words, so the obstacle becomes like, what are they talking about? But when you know the formulas and know what this is talking, specifically talking about, then it becomes actually quite easy to understand this. It, it really isn't as intricate as it seems. It's just when we're missing part of the information that has to be understood in order to read it properly, it seems daunting, but it's really not that difficult. If you spend some time with the tenant systems, um, a good amount of time, a year, I mean, like not 10 minutes, but you'll, you really could understand this section without having to be a super genius, for real. Um, 
it's just new words and it's just it's it's referring to information we don't have so that's all the passages of the clear words that reply to Baba Vega show and unfortunately a lot of the people who do understand it are such like scholars and have realized the the um, drawbacks of our language um, in, in terms of it being limited far, as far as our lexicon with Buddhism. So they've chosen to write it in such like a bombastic fashion. Like the, the form of bombastic, which is like using really difficult words to express something that may not be that difficult of a point. Um, but they have to because we're, our lexicon is so missing. Um, so um, most of the people that could even begin to understand these tenets are such in, uh, geniuses um, that they write in this way. Um, but it really isn't, the material isn't as difficult as it's reading. I promise that. The passages of the clear words that reply to Baba Vega show that the subject is not established as appearing in common to the two parties in this debate. Um, how do they show this? Here in the section, the clear word states that um, those to whom it demonstrates how one cannot establish a subject in common with an opponent uh, are those who refute production from self. That is the Svatantrikas. But in general, the opponents of the clear words are both A, the essentialists who accept that things ultimately have intrinsic nature, um, and Svatantrikas who refute that but accept that things conventionally have intrinsic character or intrinsic nature. Svatantrika mad madhyamikas are called non-essentialists. However, so as to simplify the terminology in this discussion, opponents of intrinsic existence will refer to prasangikas and advocates of intrinsic existence will refer to both the essentialists and the Svatantrikas. So they're called, Svatantrikas can be called non-essentialists, but they have an essentialist kind of view because conventionally, essentialists generally believe that ultimately things have an intrinsicness. But this non-essentialists believe that conventionally there is this intrinsic existence. So they still have some uh, kind of essentialism, uh, a kind of essentialist view um, that's more subtle than the essentialist. Uh, it's a little opposing or different than the essentialist. 699, let me just make sure. Uh, we stop where Rinpoche stopped. Uh, 699, he read to there. Okay, just a little more. Um, the Svetantrikas who view but accept that things conventionally have intrinsic character or intrinsic nature. Svetantrika Madramikas are called non-essentialists. However, okay, so I read that. According to the advocates of intrinsic existence, visible form, the stated subject of the syllogism, must be established by the valid perceptual cognition of the visual consciousness that perceive it. Moreover, if this consciousnesses did not establish visible form in a non-mistaken way, then they could not be perceptions that in an, um, establish their objects. Hence, they must be non-mistaken. Do non-conceptual perceptions establish their objects in a non-mistaken way? In non-prasangika systems, an object's existence by way of its intrinsic character appears to any consciousness that is non-mistaken with respect to its, that object. Moreover, the object must exist just as it appears to that consciousness. As this is the case, we prasangikas say that the kind of valid cognition that establishes the subject for the essential opponent will not work for a madhyamaka proponent. Why? Since no phenomena can even conventionally have a nature that is established by way of its intrinsic character, there is no valid cognition that establishes such a thing. It is with this in mind that the master Chandrakirti refutes the notion of autonomous syllogism. This also explains how to refute the need for an autonomous syllogism as part of the pro process of initially instilling in others the view that knows 
that things lack intrinsic nature. I, I leave aside for the time being the analysis of whether prasangikas need to use autonomous syllogisms among themselves as part of the process of developing inferential knowledge of certain objects amongst the diverse conventional objects. Now, let me explain this by tying my analysis to Chandrakirti's text. The meaning of the passage, insofar as one accepts the refutation of production, himself must accept that this is so, is as so follows. The basis of the probundum. A uh, subject such as the eye or form breaks down, that is, not established in reality. This is something that Baba Vega himself accepts. What are those subjects, eye and form like? Something found to have its own existence by inaccurate consciousnesses. Affected by ignorance, this means that conventional consciousnesses, such as the visual consciousness, establish these objects. How is it that Baba Vega himself must accept this? He must accept it insofar as... Because the refutation of ultimate production as the predicate of the probendum is based upon those subjects, if they did really, if they did exist in reality, it would contradict the relationship between subject and predicate. Granted that he accept thing, accepts things in this way, what does that entail? Those subjects, form, etc., that neither exist in reality nor are reality itself cannot be considered objects found by non-mistaken consciousnesses. Hence they are found by conventional consciousnesses or subjects that apprehend false objects. And thus those consciousnesses are mistaken, that is, affected by ignorance. Therefore, objects found by non-mistaken consciousnesses do not appear to mistaken consciousness, and objects that appear to mistaken consciousnesses are not found by non-mistaken consciousness. This is because the inaccurate mistaken consciousness and the accurate non-mistaken consciousnesses are different, which is to say that each engages object by excluding the object of the other. This is the meaning of Chandrakirti's statement that inaccurate and accurate, are con inaccurate, and accurate consciousnesses are different. The explanation of that occurs in the passage. Therefore, when an inaccurate or non-existent, insofar as they are merely conventional, their inaccurate refers to a conventional consciousness that is affected by ignorance, such as visual consciousness, that such consciousnesses take what is non-existent as existent, refers to the fact that while form, sound, etc. have no essential or intrinsic character, the sensory consciousness apprehend them as having such a character. The way that non-conceptual consciousnesses apprehend their objects is in terms of mere appearance, and that is why form and such appear to sensory consciousnesses to exist by way of their intrinsic character. The words it does not perceive even the slightest degree an object that exists mean that because intrinsic character appears despite its non-existence, there is no way for those consciousnesses to establish even the slightest object that exists by way of its intrinsic character. The falling hair is an example of an object that does not exist by way of intrinsic character yet appears as though it did. These sentences mean that the sensory consciousnesses to which things such as form and sound appear are mistaken and therefore not suited to attest to an object uh, that an object exists by virtue of its intrinsic character. The passage that begins when an accurate consciousness indicates that non-mistaken consciousness do not at all apprehend form, sound, and such, the word accurate refers to non-mistaken consciousness. Noble beings who perceive reality possess such consciousness and no one else. That non-mistaken consciousness does not reify what is unreal. This means that it does not reify or take as existing such things as form and sound, which cannot be final reality. For example, it is like the fact that visual consciousness of someone without eye disease does not see an image of falling hair. In that same sentence, the phrase, insofar as they are merely conventional, refers to false objects like form and such.
Sound, non-existent means not existing by way of intrinsic character. Such conventional objects are not established even in part by non-mistaken consciousness, that is, by consciousness that have final reality as their object. This is because non-mistaken consciousness do not see such conventional objects. Uh, do not see such conventional objects. On those points, Chandrakirti cites a proof text by Nagarjuna, the protector of sensory perception and so forth. This supporting citation states that direct inferential, scriptural, and ana analytical valid cognition, sensory perceptions, and so forth, do not at all establish an object that exists by way of its intrinsic character. The sentence that begins, since inaccurate and accurate, summarizes the point Chandrakirti has already explained. This shows the shade of the Gelde So these two contradict since the opponent proved the text of the perception. Supporting the sentence because is already the sentence so how could the conventional eye as the subject of a syllogism <coughs> exist is not claiming that subjects such as conventional eye are non existent. Instead, as explained above, it means that a form that exists by way of its intrinsic uh, yeah, I, keep, I read too far. Character or is established by non-mistaken perception cannot be the subject of the syllogism even conventionally. I just read a paragraph too far. The Let's go. Okay, so the definition of, I'm just trying to see if it uh, is here. Adimika Uma Okay, so it is among the four tenet systems and uh, that propounds the middle. So that's the, the definition of Madhyamaka is among the four tenet systems, a tenet that is among the four that propounds the middle view. Refers to, yeah, so that it, pre it presents the middle view. I just want to make sure there's... And if we look at, then Rinpoche said, if we look at the Madhyamaka, um, which is called the Middle Way um, School, parentheses, it can be divided into two categories, the Middle Way Consequence School uh, and the Middle Way Autonomy School. Uh, so those are the two divisions. Ewa ni lapsong Rinpoche. Okay.
Yeah, that's it. Dixon. Ranju, de la son. Yeah. The tearing Dembaji Duchen. Well, that they just want me to do this. The Karma Ju, Karma Ju, that's Yeah, the Yabudu. Then the Chukor Tambo, the Temp, the Sum Sum, the Gare. The Sum. Denzi Chuku. Denzi Chuko. Tell him maybe Chuku. Then the Gare. Sum Yodro. ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ。ダンボ
Here the cause and effect relationship is between path and cessation. So in dependence upon the path, one is able to achieve cessation. Cessation of what? Cessation of suffering. The suffering of cyclic existence can end through depending upon a path. So we see the second cause and effect relationship between truth of path and truth of cessation. Path causing cessation. First cause and effect relationship between suffering and origin of suffering. Origin causing suffering. So the first cause and effect relationship shows you how you are bound to cyclic existence, how you are tied to it. Uh, you are tied to it because you have the causes which are origin, and as a result, you have sufferings. So you are bound to this suffering because of the origin being present. The second cause and effect relationship shows you how you can be unbound, freed from cyclic existence. Through depending upon path, one is freed from and ceases suffering. Uh, so these are the two cause and effect relationships that we find. the gunjun demba ga show serna the the dungyal demba ju the garre the detsid ravronang gunjun demba ju tatta tore lujile magile ijile lujimagile magimagile ne ijimagile somote lesa gunjun demba gunjun then. Then,呢，这酒搞的，这来酒搞的。来这个酒啊。这牛毛。来这个酒牛毛干嘛意思的？呢，牛毛酒，点心。点心，点心，点心。呢，这公主点嘛，牛呢，这点心。啊，点心
create karma. So we have these negative qualities such as attachment, hatred, all of these things that then cause us to think badly, act badly, and speak badly. Um, but those things have a cause. Um, so it's not just the afflictions that come out of nowhere. The afflictions are caused by grasping at true establishment. So it's incorrectly perceiving reality and grasping at things incorrectly which cause us to then have afflictions, to be attached, to be angry, etc., that then cause us to act badly. Um, so virt non-virtuous karma or non-virtuous action is what causes suffering. But when we trace it back to what the root cause of all of these things, all of, all of our problems is, or the root pro cause of all of our problems. What is the root problem of all of our, what is the root cause of all of our problems? We will find that it's the grasping at things as being truly established. So it's this grasping at things incorrectly that sets off this reaction of affliction that causes karma, which causes cyclic existence. And this is a cycle that occurs over and over again. Dene, the Goden, show Serna. Goden and Landen, show. Goden and Landen, Serna. That's a Tolange, Tolangola. Landen, Serna, Tolangola. Molola, son de Landen. Less so. So if we were to say, uh, then what is path? Posit that which is path. Um, so we've explained that what is suffering, uh, the cyclical aggregates, as a translate the aggregates of cyclic existence, because I can't say that word, lickle, lickical, that one. Uh, so the aggregates of cyclic existence, and um, when we look at what is suffering, you can divide suffering into so many different categories. As a translator's note, if you look at the great treatise in the beginning, you have so many different divisions, the six types of suffering, the three types of suffering. Generally, you hear the three types of suffering, the suffering of suffering, the suffering of change, and pervasive compounded suffering. Um, but these are all because of we have aggregates of cyclic existence. So these sufferings occur because of these aggregates, and these aggregates occur because we have this grasping. Um, so the pathway um, begins when we look at the five Mahayana paths, the path of accumulation, the path of preparation, path of seeing, path of meditation, the path of no more learning. When we look at true paths, that doesn't begin until one is at the path of seeing. So these are called Arya paths because they're superior paths that are only paths that begin once one sees emptiness directly. Um, so um, when we say true paths, that is paths of Aryas that lead to Arya Buddhas. Arya Bodhisattvas or just Aryas lead to Buddhas, lead to foe destroyers. Um, so that's what we would say. And then the Goden show, Techen Danteme. Go down, Mambo, you're right. So long to the Gomba Latin there. And the same thing, the Gomba, the Shiji, the Gomba, 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 there are various afflictions and negativities that are abandoned as you progress through and that are completely abandoned, that are ended as you progress through these stages. So there are cessations that occur 
throughout the pathway up to the final cessation, which is the cessation of cyclic existence. But there is a cessation of the coarse afflictions, cessation of the great of great afflictions, the great of medium afflictions. So these cessations occur throughout the process of path, but the final cessation is the cessation of all obstructions to omniscience. So um, cessation refers to many different levels. And then liberation cessation, if we look at an enlightenment, there's an enlightenment of a henionist, and then there's the enlightenment of a Mahayanist. An enlightenment of a henionist, whether they are here or a solitary realizer, would just be their own individual nirvana. They'd be there in peace, at peace in nirvana. The Mahayana in enlightenment is referring to Buddhahood. So, and that is the final cessation for a Mahayanist, is the cessation of the obstructions to omniscience. Disun. Okay, so we'll end there today. A lot of people came for 5 a.m., so we're going to have end there. Um, if is it, we're, we weren't going to do them, we're going to end there. But if there's really, if there's any question that's really like really like important, definitely ask it. We wouldn't want to leave without it. But is it some? What's up? Go for it. Okay. That's Kaju lineage, but Rimache. Uh, no, would no. Rimache, Milarepa, Loju, Detsi, Europe, the Kong. I mean, there's a book called Life Story of Milarepa, which. Yeah. You probably guarantee if you read that whole thing, you have more details of Milarepa's life than maybe Rinpoche does. So in one lifetime, in, li in Milarepa's lifetime, he was able to become a Buddha. So his teacher was named Marpa. So then Milarepa's teacher Marpa was very skillful. Um, and realized that Milarepa had many bad deeds that he had done and had to purify a lot of negativities. So he skillfully had him build these buildings. I think they were temples or something. Um, um, over and over again. And the reason that we say over and over again is um, he would, Milarepa would build it just as he was instructed to. And Marpa would come to inspect it and say it was done wrong and tell him to tear the whole thing down and redo it again an inch over or a foot taller or sunken in. So he did this over and over again. Um, and it was to, he was using skillful means to help purify this um, horrible negativity that Milarepa had created. Milarepa knew black magic and had killed a village of people. Um, so Marpa was trying to get him to purify these sins these negativities which were blocking his ability to become enlightened. Um, so, Hundred 
Oh, okay. So it's at the time of Lama Tsongkhapa, he said there were 120 students that would become enlightened. There was some prophecy. I'm sorry, I'm not good with these things, but there was a prophecy. Um, when we're speaking of beings that will achieve enlightenment in one lifetime, Milarepa was cited, and Lama Tsongkhapa said 120 more students will be like Milarepa or something like this. Mm, not so much. I read the book once, like maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, I remember something like that. Okay. Yeah. ye <laughs> Then they nampi becha lojung she kalikabudu. Then they sansan lunyen lunyen la daudu, movie daudu, becha gender daudu. Then they send send le labuchana. Then they anger lojung she. So Rimache is saying that yes, it is considered useless information. Bear with me here. If you're look doing anything really that is studying a topic, 
that isn't in changing, moving you towards a spiritual goal. The information itself isn't helping you. But we aren't Buddhas. We aren't Lamas. We aren't highly realized yet. And our minds aren't capable necessarily yet of being inundated with only spiritual information. So because we aren't necessarily at a place of realization yet, having a break, even though it isn't studying something that's going to necessarily, the information isn't necessarily going to help you get further along the path, but the process of stepping back and calming your mind down to the point where it can then address the Buddhism again yeah. more calmly right. yeah. is a method, is a skillful means. Oh. So the information itself is gossip. It's not information that you want to spend, memorize and make sure that you're, but if you're using it as a, like a diverting your mind like just as kind of like I told them, like watching a movie yeah. or watching TV yeah. or something like that when you just get overwhelmed and you start to feel bad yeah. and you can't possibly put more learning in, but later you can, yeah. but right now it's just too much. And I said all this to him and he said, it's good, do a little of both. Oh, you know, you. A little piece yeah. and then study. Do it back and forth until you get to the point where you will only be able to study and only want to study. But you, you are the only one who knows where you're at. And, and for anybody to say you should study day and night, yeah. you're not ready to study day and night, then you're not ready and that's actually going to hurt you. Everybody knows themselves the best. So if it starts to feel like it's not, like, like a little too much, you know, you can't miss, you know, if you change is hard. So like becoming a better person is hard. Yeah. So it's going to be a little hard. Yeah. But when it's just too much, you, you know if you're in over your head yeah. and need to step back. Yeah, there's like all this stuff that's almost feels like you have to do everything at once. And it's just like, you don't. Miller Rapo like could fly and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? He just like used black magic bad, but he was already way, way, like way up. Superior. He did. He knew black magic. Like he destroyed a whole village by a woof. I know like he's, he has you know. Yeah, yeah. He wow. so he just had to like take that and put it with Buddhism, and it was like super fat. It's like that how tantra works. Yeah. Like how tantra works. Like. They're, when we read the Guru Puja and they're talking about that energy that's created between when certain things take place, that energy is then turned towards the path and it's a very swift path then. Likewise, Milarepa took those qualities and put them towards good and was very swift because of it. But we're, we're I'm not Milarepa's. I'm not in that 120. <laughs> Okay, anyone else? I mean, we're doing it now. I don't want to, like... Sure. The third noble truth. Yes, cessation. Cessation? Yeah. Does that mean, the, the, like, the six senses? That no. It isn't, because I didn't know what... As you, we use the word sensation. So cessation. Oh, End. Cessation. It ceases. Ceases to exist. Cessation. Yeah. Yes.
tearing the Shachitupa, the Zonga, Long Nang Ronang. No. Shachitupa, Zonga, Nang Ronatsu, Long Nang Ronang. What do you have on those? He said, That's good. Please repeat after me. Teata Om Muni Muni. Maha Muni Soha. Teata Om Muni Muni. Maha Muni Soha. Teata Om Muni Muni. Maha Muni Soha. Maha Muni Soha. Lama Sanjay Drujune, Drawajan Maluba, Drawajan Malupa, De Salango Basho, De Salango Basho. Tuchena Rimche. Yeah. Okay, so we'll end there. Thank you, Sasha, for requesting that. So, anyone who's new, um, that's the transmission of Buddha Shakyamuni's name mantra, which then, if you have the transmission of the name mantra, it makes it more powerful to recite. It's not the same as an initiation, just to make that clear, or a blessing, a jainang, but it's a transmission of it that has been from Buddha to his student. There's an unbroken transmission of that from Buddha. So um, Rinpoche's teacher gave it to him, whose teacher gave it to him or her, etc., etc., to the Buddha. So the words that we were just transmitted are traced back all the way to the, the Buddha himself. Okay, um, so concluding mandala offering and dedication prayer. Rimache, Shacha Tupa, Shacha Tupa Zunga Zusun. Shacha Tupa Zunga, Omuni Muni Mahamuni Soha. Shacha Tupa Zusun. Shacha Tupa Nemi or Nemi. Hakutsun. Yene Shacha Tupa Dinge. The sen zonga yin lasun. Oh. The shacha tupa the ne zonga lapsun kelensun. Okay, so I was just asking if the Buddha said this is my mantra. Like it's his name mantra, so it's his name. Um, anyway, Om Muni Muni Mahamuni Soha. So, but there's a whole meaning within it. So I was just curious. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrapa to shine forever. I send forth this jeweled mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors to traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness. All powerful Avogateshvara Tenzin Yatso, may you stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensar Wandok, upholder of scriptural and realizational doctrines, spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts, with exceptional wisdom and perseverance. <laughs>